high. Let's start by blaming. Um, let's start by venting on daylight savings. What do you think? I don't have a beef with daylight savings. Okay. My beef is it has um, affected my recording, my podcast intro for oh. two times in a row. I don't know why I don't have any blame daylight scientific savings. evidence for this, but we're just <laughs> going to blame. Okay. So, hi, Holy Cannoli Podcast listeners. Tony Gapastone here. And Wendy Gapastone if you're here. New to, if you're new to the podcast, we have been hosting this for 38 episodes and we are married for almost 15 years. <laughs> And we are doing this on a weekly basis, chatting about everything from life to strange, awkward things about the church to the fun, beautiful things about creation and racial justice and sexuality and gender equality and all the like. I hope you guys liked The Naked Pastor from last week. Whoa, that was good. Yeah. It felt like there was like jingling keys. There was. Well, that was a Skype. It was on Skype. Oh. Yeah. So that was just a Skype connection. When we get to talk live, it's going to sound better. But when we do the Skype things, we kind of have to deal with that. But I have to laugh. My dad, I talked to my dad today. Yeah. Honey, you you knew. But holy cannoli listeners, I call you honey. It's fine, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My dad said, I haven't listened to uh, that naked pastor, but that sounds really interesting. I hope they like uh, put paper down on the seats. I was like, what? He's like, that's really weird, right? I mean, is that a naked church? Does everyone just show up? Like, Dad, it's not a nudist colony, <laughs> and he's not preaching naked. He's talking about vulnerability and being raw and transparent. I was like, did you really think? He's like, I don't know. I saw a naked pastor. I don't know. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So I hope you all enjoyed Naked Pastor. But let, let's give us some foreshadowing of what's coming up in the world of Brave Maker. Brave Maker. So two the weeks next from screening. Yeah, in two March weeks. March twenty fifth, mm-hmm. Monday night, Century Theaters, Redwood City. The film is called Bias. Yes, and we want you to okay. check out the show notes because we're going to put a link into the illicit bias assessment that you can take, which is what is what the film is all about. I took it, and I'm totally embarrassed that I still have biases, lots of them, and they're going to talk about the reality of race and gender bias, and specifically. In the Bay Area, because the filmmaker is a Bay Area filmmaker. Cool. And the next one is in April. April 30th. April 30th, Tuesday night. Fox Theater. Did you hear that? Fox Theater. Huge. It was my dream to be in there like in 2020 at some point, but we get to be there in our fifth public screening, which is really, really cool. So we'll release more information about that, but we got our first corporate sponsor. It is a film on criminal justice, and we'll release more details But side note, we are looking for more corporate sponsors. We can't do this work without all the generous support we've received. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's a handful, like a small handful of people who have been so significant in supporting us as a family and as a couple. So thank you to those people. You know who you are. Bless Um, you. Yes, but we're (laughs) also looking for more um, Bay Area companies. We are actually taking Brave Maker on site. We've been invited to consider how we can take these empathy and diversity and inclusion conversations that we're doing through film to different places. So if that's a company thing that could be advantageous or attractive for you, uh, let me know. Message me at Tony at Brave Maker, and I'd love to talk more about what we're doing with film and discussions to your place of work. So good. And the last one, May 13th? Yeah, May 13th, Monday night. 
screening about um, a mom. Yeah, it's called Love Always Mom, the film. Mm. And it's a film about a cancer survivor's videos to her unborn child because she didn't think she was going to make it. She didn't think she was going to make it through her stage four breast cancer. And then spoiler alert, she does. And she turns it into a documentary, which is really beautiful. So, And she'll we'll, be there. Yeah, she'll be there. So we're going to be fighting cancer with film. So if you are going through cancer, if you know someone who has survived it, we're going to have a really cool night and discussion. And it's going to open up a lot of different things that you never would consider. Just like our guest today, who is a former surrogate. And her name is Corinne Ostrike. She's our second repeat podcaster. She is an an indigenous woman, Native American, who does lots of advocacy. We talk a lot of different topics that are super relevant to what's going on in culture today. And it's a great tie-in to this brave work that we're trying to do, this sacred and strange work that we're trying to do. So we hope you enjoy. Bye. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. So we are on the podcast with a return guest, Corinne Ostrike. She's been on the podcast about, well, you were episode 27. So, Corinne, I had to loop her back into speaking on the podcast because she's moving out of state, (laughs) going to the cold of Minneapolis. When? When do you leave? June. Okay. My husband's already there, but we join him in June. It's crazy. So you have four more months-ish left before you leave beautiful, sunny California (laughs) for the Midwest, which is where I'm from. And I'm going back there in a few weeks. I love it, but living there, oh Where my are you gosh. From? I'm Indiana from Chicago. Is... Oh, okay. yeah, Illinois. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I know I've watched my family <laughs> deal with the polar vortex this oh, yes. this winter and watch like their their posts, like, you know, throwing the water up in the air and it freezes and disintegrates. And oh my gosh. Do you know how many text messages and I'm comments sure. I got? Are you sure you yeah. want to move to Minnesota? Well, like, obviously, why are you moving? Let's chat about that. What's the scoop? It's too expensive in the Bay Area. Oh. Man. It's way too expensive to yeah. live here anymore. I mean, um, our rent for yeah. a twelve hundred square foot house was thirty eight hundred a month. Yep, and that did not include utilities or food or yep. any of like any of the regular living stuff, right? Yep. So um, we suffered through it for a very mm-hmm. long time, and it put a lot of stress on our family. I can identify. Yep. Yeah, and so. Um, we are sacrificing moving away from my family. All of my immediate family are here. Mm. But, um, but Jason, my husband, has had to sacrifice for f- 10 years to be away from yeah. his. So now we're going to go. Okay, so his family's there. Yeah, so yeah. we'll be near his family. And it's, and it's my turn as his wife to sacrifice some. And so he gets to be near his family, Yeah, which will be nice. For that's cool. Too. I mean, yeah. that's really important, I think, to for your, your kids to have some other connection with their other family, yeah. their extended family. I wish that, you know, for my kids too, to be able to have that extended family connection. But I, I grieve w- with you on that. It just makes me sad that the Bay Area, which in which we love to live, it, is pushing people away. Like it really mm-hmm. is a challenge for families and young families. If you're not in the tech space, it can be really hard to live here. And you know, I don't know. There's nothing we can do about it. There really isn't anything we can choose to live here and struggle through it, or try to get out. And yeah. uh, in some way, I, like I said, I grieve, but I also applaud you because it's a big sacrifice. My wife and I wonder what our future will look like too. I love it here so much and 
we don't know what the opportunities are going to be. So we'll keep following you <laughs> while you're in Minnesota doing your work. So just yeah. to refresh, if you did not listen to Corinne's uh, episode before, if you want to stop now and go listen to episode 27, Corinne is a Native American advocate and she does a lot of work with indigenous people. She also is a surrogate mother. We're going to get an update because she had a procedure or end of last year in the fall. So we'll hear how that went. And then she also leads a project for empowerment of men, healthy men battling toxic masculinity. And there's been some significant things in the news that I wanted to kind of talk to you about as an indigenous person about your thoughts. But so where do you want to start? Which one, which topic do you want to jump into first? Oh, I don't know. Um, well, let's do the update on the, on the surrogacy. Cause yeah. that was, that was a chapter that closed in my life. Yeah. So, um, when we last talked, um, we were, was I waiting to find out the results? You were just going to, just going. yeah, to San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So we did the embryo transfer and unfortunately it did not take, um, however, Oh, guess what? I, this was the first time I'd ever had a failed transfer. Because mm-hmm. so you've had two other pregnancies uh-huh. before, and mm-hmm. and the and all of my other IVF transfers have been, had been successful. All three of them. Oh, um, you had three. I had three, and then the third one ended in miscarriage at eight weeks oh, because of genetic issues. But the transfer itself worked. Okay. So, uh-huh. um, so this time they put it's material. It's foreign material that's placed in your body, but my body. Uh, it didn't take, mm-hmm. but then my body didn't fully reject all of the material. So then I ha- ended up having to have um, a DNC to remove all the foreign material because it was making me sick. Mm. It was causing me a lot of pain. And um, I ended up uh, terminating my contract with my intended father. Um, and then I decided that I was like, this is too much physically. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm 32 and I've had five children. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't feel that call anymore. And it was a very like, it was, it was interesting. It was, I I don't know how to describe it because I, I would think about doing surrogacy again and being matched with a new couple and like, okay, let's just, let's try this again. And it didn't have that sparkle Mm. in me when I thought about it anymore. I was like, it felt like a, a chore or like, Oh, I'm gonna have to put my body through all this again. Instead of, oh, I'm so excited and I can't wait to do this. Or right, because that's how it was before. It was right. some, like this kind of beautiful experience. Yeah. yeah, it was very spiritual and it just didn't happen. And do you think it was because of some, obviously the physical pain, but was it also some of the emotional pain? You had kind of alluded off air to some challenges with the lack of investment from the family or the couple you were working with? Yeah, it was a, he was a single uh, a single. Oh, was a single dad? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but um, there was, the, I don't know. The stakes were very different from other journeys that I had had. And I wouldn't say that I felt that the, the energy was gone because of that. I feel like what it was more of was God taking my energy on what I needed to be focused on. And it was moving more in the Buffalo Project. Mm-hmm. He was taking it out of, you know, um, somebody's phone's ringing over there. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're doing our podcast in this cafe in Mountain View, and we're trying to find the only space that isn't as loud. And of course, there's a phone next to us. There's a bathroom over here. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but so what ends up happening, you know, is God will take your energy from things that that they want you to be invested in, right? Which was surrogacy for mm-hmm. me, and then it has shifted 
into Buffalo Project. So mm-hmm. that is where I'm pouring everything now. And I even told my agency that. I said, you know, I love surrogacy and I would still, uh, I still write blogs for the agency and uh, articles and stuff, but I'm not a surrogate anymore. And that's fine. And I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's shifted. And I told them, I said, I'm going to be traveling for yeah. Buffalo Project. I can't be pregnant. And yeah, there's travel restrictions when you're yep. a surrogate. You can't travel in an airplane past 28 weeks. You can't travel over 100 miles from your hospital starting at 28 weeks pregnant until delivery. So I'm like, yeah, that's if, a big I, deal. if I have to travel for work and I'm pregnant and I can't do that, you and know. traveling for your move. You're moving 3,000 <laughs> miles across the state to Minnesota, so that's a big deal. Yeah, that too. Well, before we move on to Buffalo Project, uh, I had, we were, been, were texting about this movie, and I want our listeners to check it out because it's called Love Always Mom, and it is a documentary by a woman who was undergoing stage 4 breast cancer treatment, mm-hmm. and she wanted to become a mother. And obviously going through the treatment, she couldn't. So she found a surrogate to, um, you know, take her her egg and her husband's fertilized um, egg with her and give birth to it, knowing that the reality is that she might not live a, to see the child be born mm-hmm. or be live to know that the child could know her. So she started doing all these little videos to the baby. And so we, uh, my nonprofit Brave Maker, is trying to bring that to the Bay Area in May. So if you are interested in surrogacy, obviously find Corinne, look up this film, and hopefully we'll have more information on a screening on that. It's so interesting. You were the first person I ever met to have experienced surrogacy. And then I met Trisha, who's the filmmaker and the woman in the film. Obviously, spoiler alert, she is still alive and (laughs) able to tell about it, which is pretty cool. So it's stirring up some interesting, brave stories to talk about in regards to the film and, um, you know, space of this type of experience as a woman in culture. So be on the lookout for that. So Buffalo Project, Mm -hmm. uh, for listeners who did not listen again please go listen to episode 27 <laughs> it's all about empowering men in safe spaces to deal with toxic mas- masculinity uh not only to confront it but really to give them equip to equip them to be a healthy man yeah and i mentioned to you you know the thoughts i'd love to get your thoughts about what happened a couple was it not even maybe two months ago in washington dc it was a right to life protest rally i believe and there was some indigenous people there who were um, involved in the protest, and there were some students that got involved. Now, it seems like from, I did a lot of reading around it. There's different takes on the students' involvement, and was it hostile or was it not? Was it meant to be um, interventionary or not, if that's even a word? Uh, I don't know. Obviously, I'm still sitting here kind of going, hmm, to me, it looked like it was an aggressive interaction and a dishonoring interaction to this Native American man who Nathan was Phillips, Nathan yeah. Phillips. Well, tell me your thoughts. I was on actually that. supposed to be there. Really? I was supposed to be there to cover it for powwows.com for journalism purposes, but I was recovering from a DNC. Ah, okay. And so I wasn't yeah. able to attend. Because of that surrogacy issue, uh-huh. <clears throat> and um, and I remember uh, when it was happening because I had m- several friends who were there, and um, one of my friends sent me a message and she goes, 
um, her name's Tara, and she said, I don't think, this is, I feel unsafe. Mm. Um, and then she asked a friend of hers to walk her to an Uber, and this was just, this was when those, um, the, I, I don't know what they're called, Hebrew Israelites, or oh, uh-huh. that group that was yep. being very vocal yeah. to the children. Mm-hmm. Um they were interacting and she already could tell this doesn't feel safe yep. for me. And so she left. Um, and then I had other p- people who that I knew who stuck around. And one of the biggest misunderstandings that I have heard in conversations about this is people will say, Oh, well, Nathan Phillips approached the children and drummed in their face. Mm. And the first misunderstanding layer that is a part of that is the, uh, the misunderstanding of indigenous culture in that, a drum song is not aggressive. A drum song, a hand drum song, is meant to diffuse. Mm. So Nathan Phillips played that song as a prayer. And uh, it, it, it's an Ainge song that he was singing, American Indian Movement song. However, the, the, the goal of that song was to, to be a diffuser f- to both sides. So if you don't understand indigenous culture you might interpret his move yeah. as aggressive yeah. or being uh, instigating, yeah. right? But so here's a mi- that. that's so that's a deeper rooted issue. Like our education system doesn't provide cultural understanding of its indigenous people to, you know, settler children. And so they were like getting all up in his face thinking he was intimidating them instead of understanding that what he's doing is trying to diffuse. The other layer to that is people will say, oh, well, he was just standing there or the kids in the background, you know, they were they were just dancing or whatever. <laughs> well, if you understand that what he was doing is a prayer song, then you will also then understand that what they were doing is disrespectful. Mm. If you were, if you had a Catholic, you know, nun group singing a hymn mm-hmm. to try to diffuse a situation and people started you know, crumping in the background or like, I'm trying yeah. to flip it here, you know, like yeah. we're doing some sort of dance move that isn't in relation to what's being sung. Yeah, it's distracting. It's distracting and At it's disrespectful. At the very least, yes, right. And so, <laughs> and so I, there's so many layers when I get like, I see these online conversations about it and I'm like, I don't have the emotional energy uh-huh. to sit here and educate you about mm-hmm. all those different layers that you and I just mm-hmm. talked about here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much emotional labor that takes right. to try to educate somebody on first culture yeah. and then intention and then try to flip it in a way that is relatable? Ugh. It's hard. It, and I know we've talked about it on this podcast before. It actually is re-traumatizing, I know, to ask yeah. someone to defend or to even share thoughts. So thanks for being willing because I don't want to re-traumatize. <laughs> I, I'm really trying to get to a, the heart on this podcast of how do we be better listeners and how do we respond well? Because we, we live in a culture in a time where we're always reacting, and I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah. I can see something and I can react defensively out of frustration or I can make my, you know, use my preconceived notions to try and Mm -hmm. bring my understanding to a situation. But I really love that it's very nuanced to say an indigenous community's drumbeat is a peaceful healing sound that's supposed to diffuse a situation like that. Even though that sentence is like, well, I would have probably have said, I would have said they're 
quote unquote, peacefully protesting with music. I wouldn't have thought of, oh, it's actually meant to be like a salve Mm -hmm. to a situation. It's actually really beautiful when I think about it, but I really appreciate you saying, just flip it in a different way. And, you know, if there were a a team of Buddhist people who were just meditating with, you know, incense uh, quietly, you wouldn't go over and start singing your hymn over them. Like that would be weird and disrespectful. So I think at the very least, I I can totally appreciate your perspective of saying uh, whether the kids' intentions were honorable or not, it was not the right thing to do. No. And, and the, and I was, further disappointed in how both the school and the parents of those children handled the situation. Sure. It was a teachable moment that yeah. was totally passed up. Yeah. Um, Buffalo Project, actually, we crafted a response and sent it to the school offering to come in and give our mm. services and work with the youth in both indigenous education and helping them to understand what happened and breaking it down and to work with the young men they were not interested uh-huh. whatsoever. I mean, obviously, they went in the entirely opposite direction. Is there a lawsuit going? Is that kind yes. of what's happening now? Yeah. yeah. So the young man is now with his parents mm-hmm. trying to sue Washington mm-hmm. Post for defamation mm-hmm. and Nathan Phillips as well. It's it's just it's this it's this uh, operating under privilege as opposed to trying to resolve a situation Mm -hmm. or to make peace with it. Mm -hmm. It's further extending pain and trauma as opposed to ending it. And for that, I I just, I'm sorry. I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel a sense of compassion identifying that these are, I mean, I don't want to put quotes on them. They are children. They are teenagers. Teenagers make mistakes. So there's grace there. And at the same time, we need to hold people and teens accountable for actions. And so I can understand that there is a concern that there was a, a, a cultural reaction against these kids that made them look bad. But at the same time, I go, hey, if my teenager hurts someone with mm-hmm. their actions or their words, and we need to humbly say, you know what? Yes, this child made a mistake. We all make mistakes. We're human. Right. And teens need to have grace to be able to grow up yeah. and learn and take responsibility in those situations. And this was a perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah. So we, way to go for Buffalo Project, <laughs> reaching out. That's really cool. Yes. I, I'm, I think that's neat to, to hear. So what what are the thoughts and plans with Buffalo Project that are... Um, emerging since last we talked. Yeah, so currently uh, Buffalo Project is in application with our 501c3, which is super important to us. And Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, it takes a long time, board meetings and bylaws and Uh all the stuff that goes with it. But I am uh, deeply grateful for my personal assistant who does a lot of that work for me. And then also um, I have a whole team of people now. I have six employees who are with uh, Buffalo Project and two instructors. Right on. Um, and so my instructors are now fully equipped and ready to go out and to run the program, the three-day workshop. And will it still, will it stay here or will no. you extend it to Minnesota? Or? No, we are anywhere that someone is interested. Okay. So if, uh, so right now there's um, potentially uh some places in Hawaii that are interested in having us come out. There's potentially up in Washington some places that are interested in having us come out. There's also a f- possible future collaboration with the uh, the 
uh, Indigenous Women's Coalition for Sexual Assault with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women in Minneapolis that are like ready for us to get out there. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's like ready to go, mm-hmm. but part of that we like we need that 501c3 mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the reason behind that is our fiscal sponsors at church. Mm. A lot of larger companies will not use a program whose fiscal sponsor is given right. to a church. So. so once you get your 501c3, you'll remove yourself under right. the umbrella of a church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it took us, we uh, we filed in, I believe, June, and we didn't get ours until November of 2018. Oh, wow. So it took six, almost six months yeah. to, to get it fully. But yeah. the great thing is that the IRS lets you fundraise under the umbrella of their... Um, auspices that you will get your 501c3 so you can get you know yeah exactly you can get a a template and do your receipts all with this little caveat that you know once it's approved then all the receipts can be tax deductible but knowing that it will you can start fundraising that's great yeah that's what Braidmaker did so that was super helpful that's cool that you get to be uh, you get to be international without having to stay in the same area you can travel wherever you are that's great and what I'd really eventually like to see is having an, a physical space in the Minneapolis area yeah. where if there's individual men who want to do our program but their company isn't interested, then I can get like a list of, okay, mm-hmm. well, we have 10 men who are signed up that want to cool. do this and then just run that program in a space, a physical space for them. I wanted to make sure you knew I actually had a really cool pastor on episode 31 who lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he's doing a really great work in downtown Minneapolis, which is very diverse and very culturally, you know, nuanced. Uh, So his name is Dan Collison, and he is the leader of the, I think it's the First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. So great. look him up. I can connect you yes, on yeah, an email. <laughs> uh, he does a lot of great stuff through his community center and has, has got like the civic role as well. So he's on staff with the church, but he also does a lot of civic work mm. in a different capacity too. So I think you guys would be yeah. good to partner up. Seems like you guys have mutual hearts. So awesome. I'll connect you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right, so I also I feel like I'm on an um, entertainment show. I want to hear about the <laughs> Grammys because you got to go to the Grammys. Okay. How in the heck did that happen? What is that all about? How was that experience? That was, oh, it was amazing, surreal. But um, so it, the way it came up was uh, my other job, my other job is that I'm a, a journalist with mm-hmm. powwows.com mm-hmm. and I cover indigenous issues and things that are happening in our community. And um, one of our... Um, our Cree drum groups, Young Spirit Singers, it was announced that they were nominated under the World Roots category. And uh, so my boss sent me a message and was like, hey, could we reach out to them and see about possibly interviewing them about their journey? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I reached out um, to Jacob Faithful, who is the lead singer of uh, Young Spirit Singers. And (laughs) it ended up, the more we talked, they were just like, do you want to go? Like, do you want to go to the Grammys and come with us? And I was like, oh, man, I could do lives. I could do interviews. And then I started thinking, what am I going to wear? And then the thought process was I need to rep all indigenous everything. Mm -hmm. So I happened to know a woman named Norma Flying Horse. And she's Mandan Hiratsa, and she was actually prepping for Paris Fashion Week. She showed her designs Paris Fashion Week on the 27th of February. 
amazing Redberry woman is her name or her designer label. And I asked her, I said, so do you, I know you're getting ready for fashion week, but do you have time to make me a dress? <laughs> and she said, hell yeah. Like, wow. absolutely. So she designed from scratch um, this beautiful dress that I was able to wear. In a short amount of time though, right? Yeah. Like, in a matter of like three weeks. Three weeks. She wow. designed and crafted this dress. That's cool. And um, and then I reached out to another uh, indigenous woman. She was She's Ojibwe and she made me um, moccasins and beadwork earrings to wear. Very cool. And then, and, and then um, I also had uh, indigenous, uh, indigenous makeup. There's a makeup company called Cheekbone Beauty. And she, I had an indigenous makeup artist use indigenous makeup mm. to, um, on my face. Very cool. And then um, uh, just went, tried to do absolutely everything to rep our people on that red carpet. Because that is a colonized yeah. space. Yeah. And here we were going to be walking down this red carpet. I wanted to make sure we owned it. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of my favorite pictures from that night is my mocks on the red carpet. Very cool. Rock your mocks is like a hashtag uh -huh. that's pretty popular. And so that's we cool. said, rock my mocks on the red carpet. That's very but cool. But it was really, it was really amazing uh, we went into the Grammys itself first before premiering. You have a choice. So you can either premiere, which is where you walk the red carpet, take pictures and do interviews, or you could just go straight into the Grammys and then come back later and premiere later. And there's like a pre-show, and that's non-televised, and that's where they were under their category would have been uh, announced. I see. So okay. it wasn't like where Lady Gaga got yeah. hers or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um that was in the stable center, but we were in a place on the side. And so we went in and we were sitting like right in the front and, um, they did not win. They were a little disappointed about that, but we had such a fun time being and meeting all the other people in their category. And just everyone was super humble and excited to be there. And, um, and then we decided to premiere after cause we we're like, okay, now we're going to walk down the red carpet. And they actually made the decision that they wanted to play their drum mm. on the red carpet. And so um, we got to the red carpet and we got on and they found a lady with a headset. And she was like, okay, what's your name and everything? And, and uh, they said, you know, we'd really like to play our drum on the red carpet. Is that allowed? And she said, oh, well, we can't just start playing it. But what if you did it on the live interview with Grammys, the Grammys Live? And then you can do it there in an interview. And they were like, sure, that sounds great. And so we went and we stood and we, they started interviewing. And then they said, you know, we're going to sing a song. And they started playing and the entire red carpet went silent. Every interview stopped. People were turned and mm. watching. It was the most powerful experience mm. being there. And I was live on powwows.com. And another girl that was with us was live on her on her phone, and she actually has over 2 million views on her Facebook video. Wow. It was pretty crazy. And then it was so, they were so popular after that, we got to meet the Backstreet Boys. Uh -huh. They came over and introduced themselves, which was like 16-year-old me was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Backstreet Boys. Carter, oh I know, they, do they sing Backstreet Oh, yeah, wait, back right? hey, back. back. All, All right. right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know. I think I know Insync more than Backstreet. But it was so funny because I texted my husband. I was like, "I just met the Backstreet Boys." <laughs> this was funny. And then, um, and actually, Vanity. I think it was Vanity. Ended up asking them to sing again, and so then they performed for um, 
the vanity interview. And then at the end, they all stand up for a picture that's on Getty Images or that get, ends up yeah. being on Getty. Yeah. And after that, the press that was up there said, would you sing again for us? And so, so three different times. So three wow. times. And tell me the name of the group again. Young Spirit Singers. Young Spirit Singers. Cool. And they're on Instagram too. Cool. So we'll put that out. We'll find that link and put it on our Facebook group. And Yeah. Uh, if, did you have an article on powwows as a result of this? Or? I have on our powwows.com Facebook page. Okay. There's videos okay. that I have of like a live interview while we're Great. in the limo. Awesome. There's a live interview um, or there's live coverage of their singing when we're on the red carpet. Cool. We'll post that. How fun. And there's an actual article, too, that shows my dress and all the design where I wore and represented and everything, too. So Some people can easily scoff, and, and, and I get it, at our fixation with pop culture and how we can sometimes elevate it to this place of... Um, I don't know, idolatry in a way, like, you know, even like the title of the, that reality show, American Idol, can kind of make people roll their eyes. But I think there's something to be said about representation here. And I think that's a big conversation that needs to be had right now is, are we seeing in pop culture a reflection of the diversity of the American people? Are we right. giving people a, a platform and a voice to be who they are, especially people who people of color people who are indigenous and I, i'm so i'm really glad to hear but that's what i was really interested to to hear about your journey and excited for that because i think that's that's really important that's that's a very sacred space to live in and you have mm-hmm. to go in there with a level head because it could easily get to your head in both positive and negative ways right like if yeah. you don't get the, the the microphone or the interview or mm-hmm. the recognition or you do lose you know the category it can really be a deflating space but if you take the wins away from it and go wow we got to be who we are we got to play our music we got yeah. to celebrate culture in that space, I think that that's a win. That's something to celebrate. And those were discussions that I heard the singers have, hmm. you know, uh, and, and included in those discussions were also, you know, let's remember that with the responsibility of singing on this carpet, on camera, yeah. that we are now representative, basically, of the indigenous community. Yeah. So for the rest of the day and the evening, our behavior reflects that. Cool. And the mantle of that, on those singers for the rest of the evening was, you know, very visible. It's like, oh, like people are watching us and we're representative of our community. There's a responsibility in your behavior, you know, that comes with that. So I really, I just appreciated watching Jacob lead his singers in that way. And, and just this gentle reminder of like, just remember what, what we're representing now and the people are watching us mm-hmm. and that it's important to to always have that in your in your thoughts when yep. you're acting. Yep. And I don't I don't know if like if those singers had ever had that kind of spotlight before. I mean, yeah, at powwows they're known. There's like, oh young spirit singers is here. But this was a national spotlight. Mm-hmm. This was this was a big deal. So mm. that's so cool. So powerful. I you know, the more and more that I try and do work in media, the more and more that I find myself humbled, you know, obviously as a person of the the predominant culture, as a white man, Mm -hmm. it's so humbling to feel that I take positions from people, you know, just by sometimes just by showing up and it's frustrating because I don't want that. And so um, I think one of the things I'm taking away, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but 
thing that I'm taking away in the conversation about race or about gender is I need to be talking to other white men about our privilege. I need to be talking to other people who have power and have the ability to give that power away Mm -hmm. and say, why aren't we considering hiring a woman or a person of color in these jobs and not going to the women or the people of color and saying, plead your case. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it can easily feel like that, even on the podcast. I want people of color. I want women. I want the LGBTQ community to come and talk. But just even in doing that, I have in the back of my, my mind, like that conversation about trauma or putting people on the defense, it, it's it's difficult. And so I keep kind of subtly getting the, the message that I think part of my job is to speak to the, the white people, uh, mm-hmm. my friends and family, about how we can do better, yeah. about how we can be better humans. I would agree with that. I think that that's... Uh that that and even just that realization is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and then also um, using your plat uh, people who are who are white using their platforms to uplift and hand the mic to people of color yeah. or p- who have been working in whatever field. Like yeah. how we were talking before recording about. Um, the United Methodist Church and mm-hmm. and and my saying, you know, I'm not qualified to speak on that because mm-hmm. I don't identify as LGBTQ. However, mm-hmm. I know someone you should speak with, right? Right, yeah. and I think that that's so important to uh, honor when we are not the expert in a specific field, yeah. And then using our whatever privileges we have to uplift someone who maybe doesn't have that that you know that mountain to shout from. Yeah, you know, agreed. I, I find it to be a an important conversation and tricky in this way because it can go a couple ways. One for 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 me, uh, it can it can be super. I guess this is where the white fragility comes in. It can be super vulnerable, you know, like as I'm looking for jobs and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I have in the back of my my head, like I just actually interviewed for a church recently, and I didn't think I was going to go back into church ministry, and I still don't. Feel feel, you know, hundred percent sure what's going to happen with my life. I, I feel like I'm a pastor at large. Uh, I don't need to be, you know, in a church staff to, to pastor people, but mm-hmm. I was talking to this church that was interested in seeing if I wanted to come and be the leader. And I, at the end of the conversation, I just felt like I needed to ask, I'm a white straight man. Why, um, why not look for a woman? Why not look for a person of color? Why not look for someone in the LGBTQ community? And they were saying, they they would like that, but it was difficult. They've only been presented with a lot of straight men. Mm. And I thought that's so interesting. And I wondered, like I was going to say to the, the church, actually I'm kind of forming a thought, like um, to go back and you know maybe say, maybe take more time or maybe consider a different type of leadership. Like I'm a part of a church now in Redwood City that I absolutely love because they don't have a lead pastor. They are just led by a small group of elders and then they bring in guest speakers every week. Mm. And it's actually pretty nice because it's not a personality driven church and I kind of like that. So yeah. that's just one one challenge is I think as a, as a white person, we can feel like, um, you know, our, our jobs are we need jobs too, right? But yeah. then you, but you have to be humble enough to say, "Am I taking a job from someone else?" You know, who couldn't get it because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And the other direction that could go is it could become like a power trip, like ha ha ha, I can you know wield this power in a negative way, or it could be like a braggy way, like 
look at me, I'm handing the mic over to some. So it's a weird, right. it's a weird thing, you know. And I've heard that referred to as like, uh, like the good white person trophy. Yes, like <laughs> the white savior. Yes, right. Oh, that's a whole right? issue. Yeah. People talked a lot about that in, uh, regarding the Green Book movie that won Best yes. Picture at the Oscars, the yes. white savior mentality. Have you ever followed on Instagram, No White Saviors? No, and I'm going oh, to right please. now. Their page. Say more. It's called, it's called No White Saviors, and it is the most no amazing page because it focuses on African uh, missionary or missionaries who come to Africa. Mm. Um, without with, and oh, you just have to check it out. Okay, I, I'm doing it right now as you're speaking. No, and white I got to be honest. When I first started following that page, I had that like defensive reaction, and I was like, oh, oh man, I'm I'm gonna be really you know, cognizant of how I'm feeling right now because that's speaking something. And the more I listened and the more I watched their stories and learned about their experiences as African women, mm. run by some African women fighting against, fighting for their people in their own country yeah. and then being stepped on by uh. these, these missionaries who would come in and sit, think that they knew better. Yep. Oh man, there's so many just amazing things. You should definitely follow it. I, I can say this as a like person who was a leader of the church and who's been on those types of mission trips. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we need to apologize for a lot of the things that we have done in the name of God. I found it. No white saviors. 104,000 people. Uh, we've done a lot of harm. And actually, there's actually a book called Doing More Harm Than Good or something like that. Or mm. another book I know is called like The Bad Missionary. Um, it is this idea that we know better. And uh, as a church person, as a church leader, even for the culture of what we've created on a Sunday, I could easily look back and go, you know what? I've actually caused more harm than good mm-hmm. by calling out the way that I see life as the best way to do life. And I'm try- I want to get better at this when I do my public speaking. I want to get better at saying, you know what? I could be wrong. This is how I see it. But you get to figure it out too. And yeah. you need to be who God created you to be. Well, and-, and then there's like, like indigenous communities have missionaries come out all the time sure. to the Diné Nation or to like Pine Ridge. And it's just well, like... Wait, uh, what's... Pine, my friend Jeremy just wrote a script called Pine Ridge. I just read it. It's about because he's Native American. Okay. Uh, he's got this story that he's writing on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh-huh. What do you know about Pine Ridge? I'm Oglala. So that is, is that where the Pine Ridge people, yeah. I mean, Oglala people. Our, the Pine Ridge Reservation is Oglala Nation, yeah. Get out of here. That's such a small world. I should yeah. have you read the script with his permission. I would love to. I would love to. He's writing about the, the, um, the idea of this people, you know, stricken with um, the challenges of alcoholism and suicide, teen suicide, and this idea of this kind of savior guy coming yeah. and how it actually, he's absorbed in it, but that's actually, he finds out some interesting things about himself through there. But I would be curious to have you do yeah. some. I'd love to meet him and yeah. talk with him about it. But the indigenous nations are very familiar with yeah. missionaries coming in. And I mean, aside from other things like, uh, boarding schools and the stripping of indigenous culture to you know whitewash native peoples and but <coughs> excuse me I'm recovering from pneumonia mm-hmm. but <clears throat> and a lot of those um, a lot of those issues with the missionaries coming in it was difficult to also be a Christian and to address those issues um, I would had I had a church that was like we're getting ready to go to the Navajo Nation on a mission trip could you come speak to our youth. This was a, a church in San Jose. 
And I was like, yeah, I can come speak to your youth about what exactly? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not Navajo. Sure, like, sure. I mean, I could come talk about, like, you know, reservations in general, but I'm also, just so you know, going to tell your children that they need to go in and get ready to learn. Yeah. And not be ready to change them. Because there is there is danger in being a church that says, I will provide you resources if you will come and attend our church. Mm-hmm. Because that's yielding power. That's not yielding mm-hmm. God's love. Yeah. You know? So I was wanting mm-hmm. to make sure, like, I just want you kids to know that you're going to be going there and, and you're going to be the ones surrendering to their knowledge. Yeah. Because they need to be empowered to help themselves and you can say tell us what to do but if you go in and say you need to do this and you need to do that that's violence that's Mm -hmm. colonization Mm -hmm. and that's just going to perpetuate drama Mm -hmm. and they're going to do it because they're in such a state where they need food or they need water and that's not yielding god's love that's yielding power over somebody and holding god's love hostage that's good and that's, gosh, that's so humbling. We don't even realize that we do that. I, I was just giving some thought about how I tell my kids about God's unconditional love, but how uncon- how conditional I am at times, right, with my love, you know, and how I want them to listen to me and et cetera, mm. you know, and how I withhold things because I want, you know, and how that just becomes so convoluted in the way we see God and then the way that we minister, quote unquote, the the church and the other resources. And it's just so humbling. It feels like, uh, I just want, I just want us to do the right thing. As Spike Lee said, Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Anything else you want to share? I think that last stuff was really good. Thank you so much. I think that's good. I think that's everything. (laughs) Remind people how they can follow you. I'm on Instagram, uh, miss Corinne 86. Um, and then also I write articles with powwows.com. Be sure to check those out. And um, a Buffalo Project has a website too, if you're interested. Yeah. Buffaloproject.org. It's pretty easy. And yeah, just um, Brothers Leading Openness is our Instagram page. So Great. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. So if you're following on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll be able to see them there. And please comment and share this with people. Subscribe to the podcast and uh, help the the cause and the rights of indigenous people be honored through Corinne's work. I really appreciate you and what you're doing and thanks for coming on the podcast again. You are you're our second repeat guest. Awesome. Yeah. I'm honored. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Corinne Ostrike, thank you so much. Thanks. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it.